I'd like to greet you in Christ's name again tonight. It's good to be here with you. The title for the series of messages this week is called Walking Together. And uh, tonight's message is Resolving Conflict. It doesn't take too long as we walk together down the road that we hit a bump in the road and then there's some problems that arise. It's inevitable that conflict will arise. Sooner or later it will. We're human beings. doesn't matter our personality. doesn't matter our background. doesn't matter how peace-loving we are. We all think differently. It's because we're human. We all have our special interests and goals. We all have our individual wills and desires. And the thing about conflicts is that they can get really messy. Um, our feelings get hurt. Our relationships can be damaged. Things are flying around. All kinds of debris is happening. Our peace is gone. Our secure feelings of love and acceptance are in short supply. Many of us would like to avoid conflict altogether. It's not something we would choose if it were up to us. We'll do a lot. I wouldn't say everything, but we'll do a lot to keep it from happening. I read about a, uh, an elderly couple who is retiring, trying to find a place in the world that was least, least likely to suffer a conflict of any kind. They wanted a peaceful place to retire. They were alarmed by the threat of nuclear war. And so they searched all over the world to try to find a place that would certainly meet that goal. They, their goal was to determine where in the world would be the least likely place affected by a nuclear war, a place of ultimate peace and security. They studied and traveled, traveled and studied. Finally, they found the place. And on Christmas... They sent their pastor a card from their new home in the Falkland Islands just off the east coast of South America. However, their paradise was soon turned into a war zone by Great Britain and Argentina in the conflict now recorded in history books as the Falkland War. The one place that would have a conflict is where they chose to live. I want to open with a I found a somewhat a profound statement by Larry Crabb. Larry Crabb writes books on, uh, on relationships and counseling and so on. And this is what he says, The difference between spiritual and unspiritual community is not whether conflict exists, but is rather in our attitude toward it and our approach to handling it. When conflict is seen as an opportunity to draw more fully on spiritual resources, we have the makings of spiritual community. So what Larry Crabb is saying is that conflict will exist. It's not an indication of how spiritual your church is. When there is conflict, doesn't mean we are less spiritual. Or that we are more spiritual if there isn't any conflict. Conflict will exist in our Christian communities and in our families and in our churches. It Happening doesn't mean that we are unspiritual or worldly or bad people in general. The difference between spiritual and unspiritual community is our attitude toward conflict and our approach to handling it. And that's the goal of the message tonight is to hopefully inform us a bit on what our attitude toward conflict should be and some of the ways to manage conflict. I struggled a little bit with the title for tonight's message, and I was between managing conflict and resolving conflict. Conflict is going to be around from time to time. We certainly shouldn't be living in a constant diet of conflict. It, but there will be occasions when conflict will arise, and I think maybe resolving is the best term. What is your personal view of conflict? Does it... Conjure up a negative image in your mind when I mention the word conflict. Is it, is it a really negative thing? Does it bother you? Do we ignore it? 
there would be folks who saying it, say that it doesn't exist. We conflict? What conflict? We don't have conflict in our home or in our church. We never fight where I am. I beg to differ. Conflict is there. We're either dealing with it, we are handling it, we're looking at it in a godly way, or we are ignoring it and, and sweeping it under the rug until it finally builds to uh, larger proportions. Do we endure it? Do we rise to the occasion and, and deal with it? From my experience, our growing up years are very instrumental in how we view conflict. What kind of a home did you grow up in? Was there conflict? Was it managed well? Was it ongoing or was it taken care of in a fairly quick time frame? Did we feel a lot of insecurity as we went through conflict as a child? Maybe mom and dad uh, had some conflict. Did that conflict linger? I read a story today of an elderly couple who lived together in a nursing home. They had been married for 60 years. Their relationship was filled with constant arguments, disagreements, and and shouting contests. The fights didn't stop even in the nursing home. In fact, the couple argued and squabbled from the time they got up in the morning until they fell in bed at night. It became so bad that the nursing home threatened to throw them out if they didn't change their ways. Even then, the couple couldn't agree on what to do. Finally, the wife said to her husband, I'll tell you what, Joe, let's pray that one of us dies. And after the funeral is over, I'll go live with my sister. I came from a home that had considerable conflict. My parents didn't manage it very well. There was a fear dance and it kept on going for years. And it really does happen in Amish homes. I believe in later life, from my observation, that mom and dad learned some things and were more close as they got older. I think they were. Dad ran away from conflict. He didn't like conflict. He, he, he hated it, and I think he passed it along to me as a child observing this. I, I, I grew up just, just not liking conflict at all. I would, I would do almost anything to try to, you know, shut it up, get away from it, don't, don't, don't let it continue. Please stop. Let's not fight. And, uh, it only happened later in life as married life came on. I began to realize that as a, husband, as a man, as an adult, I needed to learn to deal with conflict. You can't run away from it. That's not God's plan, to run away from conflict. You've got to deal with it. You've got to face the music. If you keep running away from it, that doesn't fix it. Pretend it doesn't exist, that doesn't help either. We need to Uh, Resolve conflict in a godly way. I don't know what your experience is with conflict. Do you feel good about your experience? Can conflict be resolved? Yes. Yes, it can. Conflict can be resolved. It can be handled. It can be managed in following godly principles. If we're willing to sacrifice our own comfort and pride, and with God's help, it can be resolved. Somebody here is going to tell me that, why are you talking about conflict? My goodness, you're just going to stir something up, Sam. Just let it lay. Just keep it tamped down. Don't, don't mention it, okay? It's, it's just going to allow it to be stirred up. It's kind of like the fire department down in Genoa, Texas. They were caught setting fires, the fire department. And they, when they were confronted with it, said, we had nothing to do. We wanted to just get the lights going. We wanted to get moving. We wanted something to do. So they set, kept setting these little fires. Some would say that 
that's what we're doing here tonight is, is setting little fires to, to stir that. No, that's not, that's not the case. We're just acknowledging the reality of the fact that there is conflict in, in relationships, regardless of who you are. A couple of scriptures to begin with in tonight. First one is Romans 14, 17 to 19. It says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. The command here that Paul is the apostle is giving to us is to the Corinthians and in turn to us or the Romans and in turn to us is is to follow after peace. He's basically commanding us to to make that an emphasis in our in our efforts. The kingdom of God is characterized by peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we are to make a strong Emphasis of that in our efforts to to bring peace into relationships. A newer translation would likely use the word pursue instead of following after. That's what that is all about. It, pursue peace. You're not always going to get it. You're not always going to be successful in peace, but you're going to pursue it. That's That's our goal. Pursue peace. We should be fighting the flesh and the devil, but we're too often busy fighting a civil war in relationships with each other. And uh, we need to be t- building relationships, not tearing them down. Pursue the things that make for peace. The second scripture I want to use as a basis for tonight's message is found in Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 3. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Some of the qualifications here are lowliness, meekness, long suffering, forbearance, endeavoring, there's a strong word that's trying very hard to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's a high calling and worthy endeavor. And yet, and yet, there's going to be conflict. There's not always going to be peace. And we dare not, in fact, take a line that we will have peace at any cost. We dare not. I know folks that say, well, we just, we just, just get along, okay? Just get along. That's the only thing that's important. Well, y'all just get along, okay? Whatever you're doing, just, just drop it and get along. There is not peace at all costs. There are sometimes when we have to take a stand, even though it's going to bring us a lot of flack, and it's going to cause some flare-ups, and it's going to cause some very unpleasant times. Um, sometimes we have to confront in a situation in order to resolve it properly. And God give us wisdom in knowing when to confront and when to promote uh, peace. Sometimes they are at odds. Sometimes uh, it takes a period of, of uh, interaction, a period of, of time to work out a situation before there can be real peace. It's, it's necessary in order to uh, actually take care of a problem. I want to begin tonight with a few views of conflict. How do you view conflict? And I have five views that I want to throw up here for you. And we're going to analyze those as to what is the best view of conflict. How should we view conflict? And there's going to be a... Uh, a variety of opinions here probably even in this group. The first one that's out there is that ongoing conflict is a given. There's a view that there that the world is full of conflict and and that's just the way it is. We're going to we're going to fight. We're going to have a lot of unrest. And uh it's kind of a fatalist approach. Uh 
We just can't get along. We'll never understand each other. We need to avoid threats and go, go on our own way. It's easier that way. Is this a valid view of conflict? It's not. It's not a good view of conflict. That ongoing conflict is a given. Christian marriages have their share of problems. Christian churches struggle with conflict at times. But these conflicts should be resolved in a godly way. They shouldn't be an ongoing civil war. You know what's so tiring about a civil war is, is, is the ongoing nature of it. If you have a, 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 a an infighting thing, let's get it let's get it taken care of. It's the constant infighting. It's the constant uh, constant bickering that's going on that wears people out, that gets people discouraged. And uh, so, ongoing conflict is not a a view of how how things should be. The second view is that conflict is crushing. Conflict is 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 devastating and uh, should be avoided. If I clash, I will lose. I'll be judged. I'll be rejected. Our f- fellowship will fall through. I will just have to be the nice guy, always giving in to keep things comfortable. Is that you? Is that your view of conflict? Is uh, it's such a bad scenario? It's conflict is so terrible that I won't even take a chance on it. You know, if, if you have a conflict of where, what you're, what I'm doing, if you disagree with me, I'm just, I'll just give in right away and we'll just avoid this thing. Yes, dear. Let's go your way. I think this view is not a healthy view of conflict. We do need to sacrifice for each other, but it doesn't need to be a loss. We don't need to be a martyr. We don't need that attitude all the time. A third view of conflict is that conflict is an inevitable issue of right and wrong. I would call that a crusader approach. I'm coming charging in on my little horse and I'm going to to be a warrior for truth. And I'm going to straighten this thing out because there's always right and wrong. Everything's right and wrong and we're going to have to, the wrong gets gets kicked out and the right is is going to win out. My name is Don Quixote and my henchman Pablo Villa and myself, we're going to come charging in here and we're going to take care of this situation. You can make a lot, break a lot of stuff doing that, can't you? Yes, you can. You can be like a bull in a china shop. And you can go in there and, and, and break everything and straighten everybody up and then there's nothing left. No relationships there to salvage. Conflict is not an inevitable issue of right and wrong. It may be. Sometimes they are. One party may be wrong. Both parties may be wrong. None of the parties may be wrong. But it's not an inevitable thing that, they, that, that there is that issue. Number four, conflict is a mutual issue to be resolved. This is a very common view out there that there's always give and take in every situation, that it's a mutual issue, and we need to resolve this thing. We need to put our heads together. We'll meet each other halfway. We'll cooperate. You give a little bit, 50%. I get 50%, and we'll just... By committee, we'll take care of this thing. We'll sing Kumbaya around a campfire. And everything will be hunky-dory. Maybe. Unless there are some rights and wrongs involved. Unless there are some issues that we dare not compromise. And then this approach is, is wrong. The fifth view is the one I'm going to... Uh, promote tonight is that conflict is natural, it's normal, and it's neutral. There will be conflict. It's a natural thing. Why? Because we're humans. We have a variety of opinions. We have a variety of backgrounds. We have a variety of personalities. Conflict is a tension in a relationship. There's a relationship going on and there is a tension. It has hit a a tense time or a tense spot. It's a tension that is, exists. It can be an honest difference in perspective. 
It can be worked out by caring and confronting. I should not feel threatened by conflict. I won't ask again for a raise of hands, but I will raise mine. Have I ever felt threatened by conflict? Absolutely. I have felt just intimidated by conflict, and I want to run and hide. We should not feel threatened by conflict. We should not feel threatened by it. It's not in a personal affront. It's something that happens, okay? It happens all the time. Not an ongoing thing, but it will happen. We have our own wills. We have our own desires. We have our own plans. We married a woman, if you're a man that's married, that's different from us. And and thank God she is. But there are going to be conflicts. There are going to be run-ins. Her strengths are different from ours. Her perception of issues is often in contrast to ours. And we can come out on different sides of issues. Conflict should not be surprising. It should not be threatening. Being able to resolve it without long periods of hostility and unrest is what God desires and intends for us. In his book, This Momentary Marriage, A Parable of Permanence, pastor and author John Piper offers a memorable analogy for dealing with the highs and lows of marriage. He says, picture your marriage as a grassy field. You enter it at the beginning full of hope and joy. You look out into the future and you see beautiful flowers and trees and rolling hills. And that beauty is what you see in each other. Your relationship is the field and the flowers and the rolling hills. But before you long, you step in some cow pies. As you walk through the field. Some reason, some seasons of your marriage, they may seem to be everywhere. Late at night, they are especially prevalent. These are the sins and flaws and idiosyncrasies and weaknesses and annoying habits in you and in your spouse. You try to forgive them and endure them with grace, but they have a way of dominating the relationship. It may not even be true, but sometimes it feels like that's all there is, cow pies. Noel and I have come to believe that the combination of forbearance and forgiveness leads to the creation of a compost pile. That's where you shovel the cow pies. You both look at each other and simply admit that there are a lot of cow pies. But you say to each other, you know, there's more to this relationship than cow pies. And we are losing sight of that because we keep focusing on these cow pies. Let's throw them all in the compost pile. When you, when we have, have to, we'll go there and smell it and feel bad and deal with it the best we can. And then we are going to walk away from that pile and set our eyes on the rest of our field. We will pick some favorite paths and hills that we know are not strewn with cow pies. And we will be thankful for the part of the field that is sweet. Our hands may be dirty and our backs may ache from all the shoveling. But one thing we know, we will not pitch our tent by the compost pile. We will only go there when we must. This is a gift of grace that we will give each other again and again and again because we are chosen and holy and loved. Let's bless by that illustration. There are going to be conflicts in our relationships, regardless of what relationships those are. There will be times that that stink, pure and simple. But we deal with them. We deal with them in godly principles. We deal with them and we don't stay there. We don't stay there. We move on through forgiveness, through forbearance, through give and take, and we move on beyond the cow pies to a beautiful relationship. Okay, what are your options in conflict? I don't want to be perceived as putting all of our relationships on a scale, but I'm going to throw a couple of scales at you here. Caring and confronting scale. On the horizontal is confronting And we're going to give it a number from 0 to 10. On the vertical scale, from low concern on one side for goals to high concern for goals. Then we're going to put caring on the vertical scale. Again, giving it a number from 0 to 10. 
1 to 10. On the bottom is a low concern for relationships. And on the top is a high concern for relationships. What we have here, folks, is, is two considerations in conflict. And, it, and two different levels of concern. High concern for relationships or a high concern for goals. And I dare say that in this group right here, we have two groups of people who lean one way or the other. One is, one is very, very highly goal-oriented, black and white kind of people. And I happen to be one of those. I'm a little more of the black and white kind of person. You know, it's right or it's wrong or whatever. It's, it's not as much gray area, okay? I'm very concerned with right and wrong. Because, well, I'm a preacher for one thing. And I go to the Bible and there's right and wrong, right? The other scale is to do with people. Everything, I am so concerned what it will do to my relationship. How will it affect you when this comes about? So caring and confronting are on different scales. Although they, they do interact, as we'll see here in a moment. They do interact and they can both be taken into consideration. Okay, what I want to do is put a few scenarios on there and try to illustrate to you tonight what different responses are on these scales. The first response is kind of a militant one. I walk up to somebody and I have a clear-cut statement to make. It's going to be my way. I'll get him. In other words, my way or the highway. I walk up in this meeting and let's say uh, Dennis is meeting with his board of elders here or whatever and he's got these groups in here and he walks in and says, okay, it's going to be my way. And he dares you to speak up. So now, on this scale, let's give him, uh, let's move that push pin to... uh, Right or left or up or down. If I, if my approach is I, my way or the highway, where would we be on the goals scale? High or low? High. No? What about on the caring scale? Low. Yeah. So we're going to take this pin and put it down there. That approach of just walking into a situation where there's conflict, regardless of what that conflict is, and you walk in there with a preconceived, it's my way, I'm going to have it my way. What you are telling those that are listening to you, if they're analytical at all, what you're telling the people that are listening to you is, I am very concerned that this thing have turn out this way, and if you don't like it, well, that's tough, is basically what we're saying. My way, it must happen my way. Are there ever situations where it must be like this? Ryan says yes. Anybody want to differ with that? You want to say there's never a way, never a time. We should always be Let's say it should be it should be very rare. We should be making efforts in our relationship. We never should we should never have a low concern relationship. Okay. Okay. I mean that doesn't mean that we're all going to agree at the meeting, you know, whatever. But we should be trying as hard as we can. Okay. Let's move on to another scenario. There is a better there is a better way of dealing it than that way. Certainly. The next way, the next scenario, the next response from someone is, no way, I'll get out. A a conflict exists, and you come up to it in this manner, you say, I give up, I'm out of here. I will not deal with this. 
Okay, I will not deal with this thing. I'm taking my football and I'm going home. It's my football and I'm taking it with me. I'm not going to fight. I am not going to do anything with you. I am checking out. Okay, so now where are we on, on goals with that one? Low or high? Low. What about caring? Low also, right? Yeah. So we're going to move that pin down here. Low on both ends. Frequent occurrence. Is this something we should do frequently? Is this ever a good response on our case? In our perspective, we get into a conflict situation and we run away like a little child with our football. Okay. So you're saying in a rare situation, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. But it's rarely a good response. Because you're not, you have given up on the relationship, in a sense, on working it out relationally, and your goals are not enough there to even motivate you to stay in, in, in the, uh, in the discussion, if you will. So that, that unfortunately is, is a case of a, of a person who runs away in a relationship. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm not going to deal with this. I am not going to deal with this. Okay, so you be that way. You be that way. I'm out of here. In a, in a divorce situation, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to put up with it anymore. It's not worth it to me. So the, the goal and the caring, way, way low. And, and typically a very, very bad way. And some of you are in this, your tendencies. I'm not going to say you're here. But your tendencies would tend to be this way a little bit more. Running away from situations. And I'm here to say tonight that a Christian person should value relationships and should value goals enough that we don't run away. We don't run away. It's very rare that we need to run away. Another approach. Your way, I'll give in. On the confronting scale, low or high. Low. Okay. What about caring scale? High. Yep. So we would take our pen and go up here. High concern for relationships. Low concern for goals. In this case, I'm willing to give up my goal and I'll give in. Sounds like a very good and noble thing to do, right? Sounds like giving in is a good and noble thing to do. Can you see where it can be very wrong as well? It depends on the issue, doesn't it? It depends on the issue. There may be times and many times in a relationship where a husband or a wife or a church leader or, or an employee may say, okay, I'll give in. That's, that's fine. I, I don't mind doing that. But you know what happens when you're always doing that? What happens when you always do that? You start to get this, this, this siege mentality. You get, start getting this, this feeling that I'm the doormat and everybody just walks up over me. And it is an unhealthy situation if it must always be that way, that I just will give on up because I want to make sure there's peace. I'm going to share something that I read today, a little piece by Andy Stanley. He says, I used to do a lot of marriage counseling. And often one spouse would come in the office and start ranting and raving, my husband does this, my wife will never do that, and it will go on and on. I would sit there thinking, this counseling isn't going to be very effective because the person who apparently needs to change isn't even in the room. 
So I would get a pad of paper, draw a circle on it, and say, this is a pie that represents all the chaos in your marriage. Now, 100% of the blame is in that pie, because that's where all the chaos is. I would give them the pen and say, I want you to draw a slice of the pie that you think represents your responsibility for the chaos. The piece of pie that that client would draw would never be very big. But I would say, okay, so why don't you and I talk about just this? Let's talk about this piece that is your responsibility. Let's talk about your slice. You know what? My approach never worked. I could never get anybody to stay on his or her slice of the pie. So here's what I want you to do this week. As you experience relational conflict at work, at home, with your friends, any conflict of any sort, big or small, stop and think about your own slice of the pie Ask yourself, what is my slice of the pie? Have I taken responsibility for my life, really? Or am I enjoying the blame game so much that it has allowed me to ignore what I am ultimately responsible for? In any relationship, if you can ever give the two parties, get the two parties to own their piece of the pie, you can make progress. But if everybody is focused on the other person's slice of the pie, you will just have chaos. Fourth response, I will meet you halfway. This is a very philosophical uh, way of looking at conflict. Um, I'll meet you halfway. We need to compromise. What could possibly be wrong with this approach? It sounds good. The problem is when we mate this philosophy with Christian morals that it can fall down flat. I'm looking especially at you leaders of homes. There are times when you can you cannot compromise. If you're in leadership of any role in the church, in the home, or wherever, there are times when you, you have to take the responsibility to say, yes, it sounds good, we'll do 50-50 and all this stuff, but I can't. My goal is too, my goal is too concrete. And so I cannot, cannot in this case go 50-50. And 50-50, of course, is hard to graph. It's somewhere in the middle. Finally, I care enough to confront. I'm in a sticky situation. You've been there. You will be there if you aren't now. Where you get in a situation where you are at conflict with someone else. Whether it's your wife or your husband, whether it's your child, your father, your parents, you're in a church, maybe we're in a situation where you get in a, in a situation where there's conflict. You're, you're butting heads, if you will. There is a variety of feelings, there's a variety of opinions, there's a variety of approaches to a situation. And you feel strongly, you'll feel strongly maybe from God's Word, from the teaching that you've had, from the Holy Spirit giving you guidance that there's something that must must happen a certain way. And someone else feels very strongly that they are right also. They're fine. Do you care enough to confront is the question. Do you care enough? Or are you going to let it slide? In the scale, this is the one that moves up to the high on both ends. A high concern for goals. You have a certain something that you feel very strongly about that needs to happen. But you, along with that, you, uh, you feel that uh, a, lot, a, a high concern for the person, the other person. You have a concern for the relationship. And uh, you are intent on solving that thing in a godly manner. You are going to take your life and limb in hand and you're going to approach this other individual in a kind and loving way and you're going to say, look, brother, <laughs> i got a problem. We're going to have to, we need to talk. We need to do whatever. And we need to sort this thing out because I have a real concern that, that you are wrong. Or that what you're doing is wrong. It's better to focus on the issue than the person. But, you know, what is going on here is not right. And, and we need to take care of it. This is the care that we have for our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Whether they're a spouse, whether they're a child. We're Christians. We are, we are caring enough for each other 
that we are willing to go to someone and say, look, there's something here. I, I need to talk to you about this. And, and work that thing out. This is, this is, is, this is the response that, that very important issues and very important relationships need to go for. Caring and confronting. They are not mutually exclusive. Sometimes they seem that way, but they, they are, they are not. We care enough that we must confront. Okay, I want to spend the next bit of time looking at a, uh, a graph called the slippery slope. I found this to be a very helpful thing, and I'm a very visual person. I know some of you are also. Where I can imagine things if they're put out on a, on a uh, drawing better than if they're just vague concepts. This is not original with me. It is... Uh, taken from a site called peacemaker.net. Um, and I don't know if you could agree with everything they say on that, on that site, but it's, it's got some important principles that I'd like to share tonight. You know what a slippery slope is, don't you? You're riding a four-wheeler back on a, on a place where it's slippery or your vehicle or wherever, and you're going back through, and as long as you stay on top of the ridge... Where it's relatively, relatively flat, you're, you're gonna be okay. But the more you drift off to the right or the more you drift off to the left, you are getting in greater and greater danger. And if you go way right or way left, you are going to go in the ditch. You're going to, uh, suffer casualty. So a slippery slope is, is the peacemaking responses and attack responses and escape responses. Over on the left we have escape responses and on the right are attack responses. In the middle are peacemaking responses within the scope of what is acceptable as a Christian to do. And we want to go through these. We're going to have to move fairly quickly here in a timely manner. Let's start over on the escape responses. The first one, and I've labeled them Larger here so that you can read them. The first one, the lowest level uh, on the escape responses, which it's it's still not a, an acceptable response, is denial. It's one way to escape from a conflict is to pretend that no problem exists. There isn't a problem. It's a denial, basically saying there is no. We don't have a problem. And I could best illustrate that by the fact that I have a housekeeper who gets a rug and takes a broom and, you know, sweeps the stuff under the rug, puts the rug back over, keeps on walking, keeps on going. There isn't a problem. As long as it's hidden up, there's nothing going on here. We don't have a problem. And it's obvious that that's not a good response, right? That is not a good response. Denial of a problem is not a good response to conflict. Just saying that we don't have a conflict doesn't make it that way, does it? It's just denying the fact. Um, the example you could use from the Bible would be Eli. Eli, the, the uh, priest who said his, who didn't take action with his sons, and he basically just ignored their evil behavior. The second one, a little more severe and closer to the ditch, is flight, running away, running away from conflict. It's not denial, but it's, it's flight. It's go, running like everything from a situation. Just running away, quitting. The ultimate escape response is what people do when they can't take life anymore. It's called suicide. The ultimate escape. I can't handle life. I can't. It's too tough. And it's, of course, these are selfish responses, aren't they? Yes, they are. Denial is a selfish response. Uh, so is flight. And ultimate selfishness is, is suicide. And I can't speak to every suicide because some have to do with a mental condition. And God is a judge, I think. But... Um, when people say, well, you know, I'm going to make them pay because I'm going to kill myself. That is an ultimate selfish response. On the other side, 
we have assault is the first level attack response. I am going to assault the other party. And of course that may not be, hopefully not physical assault, but it would be verbal assault. It could be things like gossip. It could be intimidation. It could be all kinds of verbal things that you do at someone because of a conflict that you have. You, you don't run away. You're not that kind of a guy. You're going to put up your mitts and you're going to fight. Right? Is that a Christian response? No, it's not. It is not a peacemaking response. It is not a Christian response. He's not going to get the best of me, right? I'll show him. You know, he tries to cut me down. I can do just as good as he can. I'll take care of this little situation. That is an assault response. And it's not a godly response. So that is on the slippery slope, leaning over on the right. And you keep on going that way, and you are going down in the ditch eventually. Okay, you will. Stronger response would be litigation. And this, this would be, uh, depending on what the situation is, standing up for my rights. I will never... Let anybody take the best of me. I'm taking them to court. I'm going to, to, to get my rights. That would be that type of response. Why not suffer wrong, the apostle says? Why not suffer things to happen to you? Why do you have to demand that others pay? Okay? And of course, the ultimate assault response would be taking someone else's life. It would be the opposite of, of suicide. I want to spend just a little more time on the peacemaking responses, which can be acceptable depending on the circumstance. The first peacemaking response is overlook. Now, I just stood up here and said that you, you, you should not be in denial of a problem. Is there ever a circumstance, brothers and sisters, where we overlook someone's actions? Is there ever a time when somebody does something to me that I am... It's not right, but I'm willing to overlook it. Is there ever a circumstance that I just overlook it? Yeah, Scripture Scripture does provide for that. There are minor circumstances that I am willing to just charge it to me. I, I, am, I am good with it. I don't have a problem just overlooking it. It's usually of a minor nature. Now, you have to be very careful with that because I am, I'm the kind of person that doesn't like conflict, so I'm going to put a fairly big boatload of these things right in this overlooked bin. And what can really happen is that I put too many of those things in there and I go around with a bit of a grudge. Yeah, I've overlooked them, but man, he better not do it again, right? I've overlooked them, but they are not really forgiven. And if there's a question, I'm going to tell you, this is being my advice from what I would observe. If there is something that continues to bother you, if you cannot freely overlook it without hard feelings, without lingering prejudice or, or, uh, or a grudge being held, you need to go to the next level. You don't overlook. For his sake, maybe, or hers, or in your own. In order for relationships to be clear, you have to be careful that you just don't overlook things that need to be resolved. So it, that is a somewhat of a slippery place, but it's not, it can be acceptable. The next one is reconciliation. And brothers and sisters, this is where the biggest part, as I see it in scripture, of our peacemaking responses need to be in conflict. Our peacemaking responsibilities, a large part of them, you see it again and again in Scripture. There needs to be reconciliation between you and the other party, whatever that con conflict may be. There, there needs to be that going on. A, a little illustration from Gordon MacDonald. He says, one of, one of our family scrapbooks contains a note written many years ago by our daughter's best friend, Cindy. It was written when the girls were both eight-year-olds and inseparable. They walked to school together every morning, enjoyed frequent sleepovers, and consulted one another on homework assignments each night. Then one day a tiny incident stressed their friendship. 
Our daughter becoming impatient with when when Cindy would walk would not walk fast enough on the way to school called her a slowpoke. It was impulsive, a bad choice of words. One can only guess what it may have meant to Cindy. At any rate, there was an instant enmity between the girls. That evening, there was no collaboration on homework. An upcoming sleepover was canceled, and the following morning, the girls walked to school by different routes. A day later, a note, the one in our scrapbook, came in the mail. Addressed to our daughter, it read, You called me a slowpoke, and I am angry at you. You are no longer my friend. Cindy. Could Cindy have been more specific? The issue, her feelings, the altered state of the relationship, all clearly defined in two sentences. The separation lasted at most one more day. When both girls realized how much they missed each other, they offered mutual sorries, one for walking too slow, the other for using the epithet slowpoke, and resumed their friendship. Soon it was as if nothing had come between them. Yet something had happened. Something had been learned. One girl had become aware of the importance of guarding her tongue, lest an errant word hurt another's feelings, and the other learned not to overreact in a heated moment. Valuable lessons. If remembered, the learnings might save both of them in many of the inevitable quarrels they would experience in the future. Reconciliation is a beautiful thing. In a Christian setting, reconciliation is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing when you walk, when you say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Would you forgive me? I'm sorry. That's a something that, that we in relationships must learn. And if we're adults and we rarely say, I'm sorry, well, I'm sorry. Therefore, Jesus said, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there remembers that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Galatians 6, one. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself lest thou also be tempted. Matthew 18.15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. It is sounds awfully simple. It is some of the hardest things for people to do. I'm sorry. I messed up. Reconciliation is beautiful. Negotiation can involve uh, corporate responses. It's, it's, uh, it's an issue where sometimes materials are involved and so on and they need to sort things out. We won't spend time with that. Mediation can be when a third party needs to go along to mediate a situation. And if you approach a brother and try to work something out, and it doesn't able to work it out between you and him. Scripture says to take someone else along, or a couple more along, and help work this situation out. And that's where mediation comes in. It can be a, a counselor, it can be another brother or sister. Arbitration would be more of a, a, a uh, assisted response on a material issue again. And sixth is accountability. Accountability is where you and your brothers have approached someone about an area of sin in their lives. They haven't listened. And now you bring it to the church and they still don't listen. That is where excommunication would happen. And that is where there is no longer that open relationship in a church setting. Okay, there it is in a very small nutshell, but this is a slippery slope. My advice to myself and to each one of us is to drive our four-wheeler along the middle of the ridge 
If you're not sure that you have actually forgiven someone, go approach them and get it squared away. Get it squared away. It's a good exercise, isn't it? It takes humility. It takes concern. It takes care. And often it, it, the, the, the situation is just, just the air is just cleared out of. It's just beautiful. Care for your brothers and sisters enough to approach them. If you are wrong, you did something wrong, or if they did something wrong, it doesn't matter. Approach them and work this thing out. Do it in a spirit of meekness. Do it in a spirit of caring and concern. A couple of considerations here to wrap things up tonight. Caring versus confronting. There's always the dichotomy. There's always the opposition of those two things. I care about our relationship. I care deeply about the issue at stake. These two seem to be in conflict. They, They don't have to be. They often are. In our conflict, lay a foundation of caring first. Caring before conflict. Caring before confrontation. When there is a concern, the first level is caring. Don't just walk up to somebody and hit him on the side of the head and say, look, you're wrong. Show him caring. Show her caring first. Build that, build that foundation of caring. A caring foundation. If I have proved to you that I really care about you, if I have proved to you that I have, there's a foundation in our relationship for caring, I've been nice to you. I've been kind to you. I've proved it time and time again that I, I will sacrifice for you. If I set that, lay that foundation, then one day walk up to you and say, Brother, I've noticed something. There's an issue that, that we, you and I need to talk about. How receptive can that person be? Yes, it can. It can very much work out. But if they feel no care from you, if they feel no care from you, just walk up and you hit them over the head with it. It, it often it doesn't work very well at all. Number two, a single response to conflict is not always best. Single response, you can't just do a cookie-cutter response. You need to spend time and carefully think this thing through. Ask the wisdom of God. Maybe ask a brother or sister for advice on how to deal with this and, and, uh, and deal with it uh, in, in the best possible way according to Scripture and according to God's Spirit working with you. Single response is not always best. Number three, the approach must be flexible. Again, it's not a, a hard, uh, hard, fast rule. And number four, consider the example of Christ in the diversity and ways which he handled conflict. There were times when he basically took his football and went home. He went to the, he went, they tried to kill him and he ran away. Was that relationship ever good? No, of course it wasn't. He got out of there. And there's a kind, the times when he confronted the religious hypocrites. That relationship never was, went very far either. But there were times when that was necessary. And then there are the times when he took the little children up into his arms. Or he reached out to the blind man. Or he reached out to a person who, who, was, who needed help and compassion and, and, and caring and, and uh, forgiveness. The thief on the cross. Those who crucified him. He reached out in forgiveness. The reproach is not always the same. That's it, folks. That's where we're going tonight. A little bit of a recap. Conflict, you know, as well as I do, that happen. it happens to the best And most godly people, there will be conflict. There will be things that you face. Are you going to care enough to confront if necessary? To take whatever actions necessary to resolve these relationships? Or are we going to run and hide? Are we going to take our football and go home? What do you want to invest in a relationship? How much do you want to invest? Is that relationship important to you? The closer the relationship, husband-wife, the more important it is. The more important it is. The church 
extremely important. As a body of Christ, we need to have enough concern for each other to go to someone and say, look, I, I, you know, in a spirit of meekness, say, I'm noticing something. You know, can we talk about this? Can we go out to breakfast? Can we, can we spend some time together and, and try to work this thing out? And, you know, I don't know what the percentages are, but if, if this person is, is responsive to God, they are very good. They can be very, very good. Um, resolving conflict, can it be resolved? Yes, it can. Follow, follow the, re, the commands of Scripture, caring, uh, confronting as necessary, uh, lots of prayer for wisdom and guidance in how to approach people. Humility. Talked about that on Monday night. It's probably, or Tuesday night, is, is a big factor. Approaching someone in humility and with an attitude of concern. God bless you.